Praise God. <clears throat> Welcome, everyone. Glad you're here today, and we greet everyone who's watching my live stream or YouTube or however it is that you're watching. And uh, we believe that God has something very good in store for you today. Amen. I've been excited about this service. I, I have been off on vacation since uh, Christmas, and I ain't got to preach anywhere. I'm going to unload on you today. Five sermons in one service. Are you ready for it? Hallelujah. Amen. I want to read something to you before I actually get into the message that the Lord said to me a few days ago. And I don't want to imply that even though I haven't been preaching, that I haven't been in the Word and haven't been in fellowship with God, I have constantly. This is something the Lord said to me just a few days ago. 2022 will continue to be challenging, but much better than the previous two years. There will be strong opposition from two distinct forces, light and darkness. Satan will do all that he can do to lull people, God's people, into a spiritual slumber so that he can keep them from enjoying God's best. But on the other hand, God at the same time will be drawing them to spend more quality time with him and his word so that they can remain strong and win every battle. The church will continue to feel the effects of growing pains, but through greater insight, revelation, and wisdom from God, it will enjoy some of its greatest victories. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.14, Thanks be unto God, which causes us to triumph always. Another translation says, God always makes His grace visible, includes us as partakers of His endless triumph. Now you all know that the word grace is synonymous with the word favor. Notice it says, God always makes His grace or His favor visible. He said to me, get ready to experience more of my favor. Well, you know that's my favorite subject. The favor of God. I am Mr. Favor. I am Dr. Favor. I am Reverend Favor. And anything to do with favor, I receive it, praise God. So get ready. to experience more and more of the favor of God that will be visible to others. Not only you, but visible to others. God is ready, or get ready, to experience more and more manifestations of God's favor. And once again, it will be visible for all to see. Good things are on the horizon. More and more of your dreams and goals will come to pass in 2022. Stay overwhelmed with gratitude. I'll say that again. Stay overwhelmed with gratitude to God for His faithfulness to you and never stop praising Him for His goodness. Be courageous and continue to take steps of faith. Don't settle for remaining as you are. Amen. 
Be willing to step out in faith as God directs, even when others have decided to play it safe. God wants you to tap into all your potential. Don't allow others to discourage you. Be willing to get out of your comfort zone. God has much more in store for you. Stay focused, stay positive, and always remembering that God is with you and God is for you. And absolutely refuse to give up no matter what. Give the Lord a shout. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, are you going to do that or just listen to me? Are you going to be doers of the word and not hearers only? I think you ought to get a copy of that. Keep it before you, praise God. I'm, I'm sure we can arrange for you to have a copy or go back and listen to the service again and write it down for yourself. But either way, I want you to encourage you to get a copy of that. Amen. And I'll drink to that. <laughs> all right, let's open our Bibles this morning. Uh, first of all, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And what I want to share with you this morning is simply entitled, In Troubled Times, Stick with the Word of God. In Troubled Times, Stick with the Word of God. Second Timothy chapter 3, if you have found it. Let's look at verse 1. This also, or know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now for the sake of time, I'm not going to read all of that, but I do want to drop down to verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. So notice the Apostle Paul considers the most important thing that we can do in perilous times is stick to what we've learned. Now, if you haven't learned anything, you're in trouble. But I've learned a few things. I am entering in, starting in February, my 53rd year in the ministry. And I have learned a lot in those 53 years. And I might also add, I'm still doing the things that I learned when I first began 53 years ago. I'm still applying the same principles. You go back and listen to sermons I've preached in the early 70s, I'm still preaching the same thing. I just know more. I've experienced more. But the message is the same. I haven't, I haven't altered the message in the least. Why? Because it's the Word of God. And it works. And the Word of God is eternal. Amen. So I am determined to keep doing and applying what I've learned because all these years it has worked for me. That's right. How many of you have learned something over the last few years? How many of you have learned something if this is your church? How many of you have learned something since you started attending this church? I'm glad you lifted your hand. Your pastor's watching. I'd hate to think that Justin's been doing all this fine preaching and you haven't learned anything. Look at Pastor Justin say, oh, thank you, Pastor, for teaching us the word. Amen. Now, the Amplified Bible says in verse 1, But understand this, that in the last days will come or set in perilous times. Now, the Amplified Bible defines perilous times 
as times of great stress and trouble, hard to deal with and hard to bear. But notice it did not say impossible. They're not impossible to deal with and they're not impossible to bear. Now that's something you have to decide. Amen. You can either decide this is impossible, it's too hard to bear, or you can go with the word and say it's hard, but not impossible. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, it's hard. It's not impossible. Amen. Now, it goes on to say in the Amplified, but as for you, verse 14, continue to hold to the things that you have learned. And obviously he's talking about what you've learned from the Word of God. Now, the New Living Translation says, you must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. Remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. Now, I I consider myself to have done that. I've remained faithful to the things that I have been taught. First of all, learning them from Kenneth Copeland back in 1969. Kenneth Hagin back in 1969. Oil Roberts as far back as 1969. And T.L. Osborne. Those were my four mentors. Those were the men that I learned from in the early days of of my life in Christ. And I'm still applying those same principles. Notice Paul said, uh, and, and remember who you learned them from. I still support all those ministries. I'm still a partner with all those ministries. Amen. I will be until the day I go to heaven. Why? Because the Bible says that if you honor God, he will honor you. And I honor God for sending those men into my life. I don't think I would be what I am today if God had not sent those men to me. In fact, I know I wouldn't be what I am today. But it's one thing for God to send anointed ministers to you, but it's something else to receive what they say and then apply it to your life. Because there were a lot of people back in 1969 in the church that we were attending, the church Carolyn grew up in. I began attending after I surrendered my life to the Lord. There were a lot of people that heard those same messages and they didn't apply them. They didn't receive them. In fact, Kenneth Copeland made half of them mad because he kicked over all their sacred cows. He, he, he certainly was not religious. And that, that just didn't sit well with a lot of them. In fact, I remember one service where one of the associate ministers sat on the platform while Brother Copeland was preaching. He shook his head no to everything he said to let the congregation know, I don't agree with any of this. Brother Copeland caught him and made him leave the platform in his own church. (laughs) Said, if you don't agree with what I say, go sit down. I'd never met anybody like him. I told Carolyn, John Wayne has finally come to the pulpit. (laughs) I've never met anybody like him. If I'd heard Kenneth Copeland, you know, back when I was a young boy, I probably would have Surrendered my life to the Lord totally back then. But I was oh, 23 years old when I finally heard Kenneth Copeland for the first time. Now, I, it's amazing to me, you know, uh, people that don't like Brother Copeland. 
And there's a multitude of them. And most of them have never heard what he said. That's like uh, the first time I, I had the opportunity to begin preaching back in those early days before I actually moved to Fort Worth and went to work with Brother Copeland. Uh, I was invited to come to Oklahoma City and preach in a church. And, and after the service, brother, uh, the pastor said, uh, Brother Savelle, you're just a Kenneth Copeland clone. Why don't you get your own message? Well, I wasn't sure what a clone was. I had to go look in the dictionary, you know. And, and, and so when I got back home, uh, Brother Copeland called. And he wanted me to meet him, uh, Carolyn and I, to meet him in Jacksonville Beach, Florida. He was preaching a meeting down there, and he wanted me to come and join him. And uh, so we, we drove to Jacksonville Beach. And I had the opportunity to tell Brother Copeland what that pastor had said. And Brother Copeland said, now what church was that in Oklahoma City? I told him, he said, what was that pastor's name? I told him, he said, oh, I preached there when I first went to ministry. And he told me I was nothing but a Kenneth Hagin clone. <laughs> Why don't you get your own message? Amen. Well, the message Brother Copeland preached was working for him. Amen. The message Brother Hagin preached was working for him. Amen. The Bible says, follow those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Amen. Well, I'm just being obedient to the Bible. Follow those. Uh, when Carolyn and I moved here, uh, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland had been in the ministry. Uh, they started in in '67, uh, and of course, I surrendered my life in '69. And we moved here, and they'd been in the ministry about three or four years, so they were that far ahead of us. But they were our example. We saw them. I not only heard him preach it. Now, back then, when we went on meetings, we didn't go for one night anywhere. Three weeks. Three services a day. Brother Copeland used to say, it takes a week to break through all the unbelief. The second week, people started listening to what you say. And the third week, we have a move of God. So I heard those sermons three times a day for three weeks. Not only that, but... I had the uh, duplicators in my hotel room and I'd take that message that he preached, bring it back to my room. And of course, this is back on reel-to-reel days. And I would duplicate the message in case somebody wanted to purchase a copy of it. And if, if, if there were five people that ordered a message, I had to duplicate that five times. And if the message was an hour long, it took an hour to duplicate it. So I heard those messages not only when he preached them, but at least four or five times again in my room. That's the way you can get the word in you in abundance. Amen. Amen. Now, boy, when they started, you know, when, when people started buying them, you know, 20 people, 30 people, 40 people, thank God, Brother Copeland believed for a duplicator, they'd do five at a, mat, five at a time. Hallelujah. And I'd have to be up all night long duplicating. But those messages were changing my life. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I, I didn't understand. Now, people would say sometimes, <clears throat> they have to understand back in those early days, there was Kenneth Copeland, Gloria Copeland, A.W. Copeland, Brother Copeland's dad. He was like the general manager of the ministry, a secretary and a bookkeeper, and Jerry Savelle. That was the staff 
of Kenneth Copeland Evangelistic Association. Okay? And I went everywhere the Copelands went. They didn't go anywhere without me. I was we Savell. When Brother Copeland said, we going to do this, we going to do that. I was we Savell. Okay? So, so uh, I would drive that station wagon <laughs> loaded down with the sound system and the duplicating equipment and the books and tapes. Well, you only had one book back in those days. And then I would set up the auditorium wherever we went back in those days. It was usually a, a small hotel room that might seat a hundred people, you know, and I'd set up the sound system and all that. And then it was my job to also find a piano player in that city where Brother Copeland could sing. Uh, and his, his theme song back then was more about Jesus. And he sang it in every meeting. More, more about Jesus. And I had to find a piano player that could play where he could sing that song. I remember one time I couldn't find anybody. I searched and I asked. And they finally told me this lady could play the piano. <clears throat> After the service, Brother Copeland said, <clears throat> after the service, Brother Copeland said, don't you ever get me another piano player that's only got three fingers. <laughs> she was awful. I could have played better than her. But anyway, uh, and then after Brother Copeland would sing, I'd get back up and open the service while he got ready and uh, maybe receive the offering. And then I would go sit on the platform and I'd sit, had a little desk with the amplifier. I mean the, uh, yeah, the amplifier and the recorder. I put on the headset and when Brother Copeland got ready to preach, he'd turn around and say, turn me on, Jerry. So that was my cue to turn the recorder on, make sure I'm getting a good recording. So every service I heard, turn me on, Jerry, turn me on, Jerry, turn me on, Jerry. And I'd just like to announce, if it hadn't been for Jerry Savelle, Kenneth Copeland, would have never got turned on. <laughs> now, I'm listening to those messages. That was my Bible college. As soon as I knew I had a good recording, I took the headset off, and now I'm his best student. I listened to every word. I took notes on every sermon. In fact, sometimes people would ask me, after the service, what were you so mad about? I said, mad? I wasn't mad. Well, it sure looked like it. The look on your face? I said, no, I was, I was, I was listening. You know, I, I didn't want to miss a word. And I'm taking notes. And uh, every word was changing my life. Every message was changing my life. Now, Carolyn didn't get to go very often. And so I would come home... And I'd endeavor to share what I had learned in those meetings with her so that our faith would be on the same level because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, from time to time, he would allow Carolyn to come and she would work at the tape tables and all that and be in the services. And, and, uh, and, and it was always exciting. We couldn't get enough. Yeah. Couldn't get enough. I was like a sponge. And yet I would see people they would get up and leave during the service. Of course, we didn't have cell phones back then, so they couldn't play with a cell phone like they do today. 
while you're preaching. Come on, that's the truth. Playing games, texting other people. <laughs> but you could you could tell they were preoccupied with something else. I never will forget we were in Dayton, Ohio, 1973. Somebody said, how do you remember all this? Because every service made an impact on me. And I started confessing the first time I heard Kenneth Hagin. I'm going to have a memory like Kenneth Hagin. That man could remember everything. He'd say things like, you know, back in 1954, uh, May the 12th, you remember May the 12th was a Thursday? I thought, how does he remember all that? I started confessing, I'm going to have a memory like Kenneth Hagin. Well, anytime Kenneth Copeland Ministries needs to know something about the history of the ministry, they call me. I was the historian. Okay. Now, so uh, people would, people would listen sometimes. Other people would listen the entire time. And then some people would allow themselves to be preoccupied. And never heard a word. And this one time in, in Dayton, Ohio, this man came up to me and he said, I need to talk to Kenneth Copeland. I said, well, sir, he's getting ready to preach and, and it's not likely you'll be able to talk to him before he preaches. Well, I have questions. I said, well, sir, if you'll sit and listen to the message, he'll probably answer your questions in the message. No, I can't wait. I got to have answers now. I said, well, sir, that's not going to happen. But I can promise you that if you will sit and listen and, and have an open heart to receive, Brother Copeland will probably answer your question. I said, he's done it for me many times. I, I remember when I first moved here, I, I, had, I, had, I needed an answer to something. And I was with Brother Copeland's mother. I said, Vanetta, I need to talk to Brother Copeland. She said, well, don't, don't, don't think I'm going to arrange it for you. <laughs> she was tougher than a boot. She said, I, if I have questions, I pray in the spirit. He picks it up. Pray in the spirit. He'll pick it up. Praise God. Oh, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Why don't I just ask him? <laughs> well, she said, I'm not going to set it up for you. Don't, don't look at me to make it happen for you. Just pray in the spirit. He'll pick it up. And sure enough, I prayed in the spirit and said, Lord, have him pick this up. And the next service I was in, he answered my question. And I told that man this. He said, well, I I don't have time. I need to talk to him now. I said, well, sir, I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. Now, I will arrange for you to have a front row seat if you'll just stay and listen. I said, can you do that? If, if it's that important to you, make a way. He said, okay. I talked him into it. He sat down on the front row. Brother Copeland was this far, and just, just close to him, preaching. And I noticed in a little while, the man got up and walked out. I got up and followed him. I said, sir, why did you leave? He said, I need answers. I don't have time to stay for a service. I said, well, sir, if you would just sit there and listen, I am confident he will answer your question. 
I said, what is your question? He told me. I said, come on and sit back down. Brother Copeland will pick it up in the spirit. He wouldn't come in. I went back in, sat there, and Brother Copeland answered his question in about five minutes. Wow. But he never heard it. Wow. He was outside in the car getting ready to leave. Wow. See, sometimes God is speaking and you're not hearing. Come on. Come on. Amen. God may be speaking to some of you right now. But if you're so preoccupied with what you're going through, it's not likely you'll hear the solution. Can you say amen? amen. I'm not trying to be hard this morning. I'm just, I'm just telling you facts. Amen. I've been at this a while. I know what I'm doing. Amen. So listen. Why would you come to church and not listen? That's right. That's right. I tell people, when you come to church, bring three things. Number one, your Bible. Number two, a notebook. Number three, seed. That's the three most important things you can bring to church. Your Bible, a notebook. Now, it goes, that, that dates me. You can bring your iPad and iPhone and your pad and my phone, whatever. <laughs> so you can take notes, anything to take notes on. And a seed. Amen. Don't ever come to church without seed. Amen. Even if it's a little sum, sow a seed. Amen. You know what Carla does? Every time Carla comes to the service, and particularly if I'm here, she will walk up to me and hand me a seed. And she said, this is my hearing seed. I'm expecting to hear from God today. Do you hear from God when I preach, Carla? Every time. Every time. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Just a little humor there. No, she plants the seed. I don't ever come to church without my Bible, something to take notes on, and seed. Hallelujah. Praise God. All right, now, the Passion Translation says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, talking about perilous times, It says, don't let it phase you. Stick with what you learned and believed. There's nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way. I love that. Let me read it again. Don't let what's happening in the world right now phase you. Stick with what you believed. Stick with what you learned and believed. There's nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way. Amen. Now, Jesus said this in John 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. The Passion Translation says, if my words live powerfully in you. If my words live powerfully in you. And powerfully here means to the point of strongly influencing you. To the point of strongly influencing you. Now I have a question. 
Where are you receiving your greatest influence? From the world or from the word? Who and what influences you the most? Who and what forms your opinions? The world or the word? It should be the word. Amen. To be influenced by the world is to invite failure and defeat into your life. To be influenced by the word is to position yourself for victory and success. Amen. Can you say amen? amen. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 14 for a moment. Matthew chapter 14. Let's look at a man, a story of a man who allowed some outside things to influence him. Matthew 14, beginning in verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray, and when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answering him said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. You know this story. And Jesus said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Notice it does not say, when Peter got out of the ship and put his feet on the water, he began to sink. doesn't say that at all. It says, when Peter got out on the water, he began walking to Jesus. So, what's happening here? With the influence of God's word, he could do the impossible. Could you agree with that? By being influenced by the words of Jesus, he could do the impossible. But, excuse me, when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. Now notice something else begins to influence him. Something happening around him. When he saw the wind boisterous, he began to sink. Notice he's no longer being influenced by the word of Jesus. He's now being influenced by something that's happening around him. Now let me ask you a question. What does the wind being boisterous have anything to do with walking on water? He'd already proved he could do it. Now, if you think it's impossible to walk on water when it's windy, I challenge you, go home this afternoon, (laughs) fill your tub up and get in, but don't dare turn the fan on because you'll sink. 
Wind has nothing to do with walking on water. Nothing. Nothing. But notice how you can be influenced by something that's happening on the outside. You can be influenced by CNN. I call that boisterous wind. Amen. Amen. You can be influenced by the media and, and let go of the Word of God. And I'm talking about people who have known the Word for years and years and years. I see a lot of people that I thought over the past were people of faith, people of the Word, that I'm finding out they have been distracted. They are allowing the boisterous wind to influence them. Instead of the word of God. Thank you for your enthusiasm. So once again, to be influenced by the world is to invite failure and defeat. Notice he began to sink. That's exactly what will happen to you. It's what will happen to me. If I allow the world to influence me, I will begin to sink. But that's not going to happen to Jerry Savelle because I am not letting go of the Word of God. Amen. I am not allowing something else to influence me. Amen. Amen. The Word has been influencing me for almost 53 years and the Word has made me what I am today and has produced what I have today and I'm not letting go of the Word. Amen. If it worked 53 years ago, it'll work today. Amen. Hallelujah. Even in perilous times. In fact, that's the beautiful thing about the Word. It not only works in the good times, it works in the bad times. Somebody give the Lord a shout if you believe it. Amen. So when Peter allowed what was happening around him to have more influence in his life than the words of Jesus, he began to sink. Now, do you remember what Jesus said in the fourth chapter of Mark? Mark chapter 4, about the sower sows the word. In verse 14, he said, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in them. I always like to say it this way. Satan comes immediately, if not sooner. It's probably likely, more likely than not. By the time you leave this building and get to your car, Satan will already be trying to steal the word you heard. Well, you know, that's easy for Jerry Savelle. But who am I? Are you a believer? (laughs) Are you a child of God? This doesn't work for me because I'm a preacher. It works for me because I'm a believer. I'm a child of God. And this is the victory to overcome the world. Even our faith. Hallelujah. Anybody who has faith can have victory. Anybody got faith in here today? Then you're entitled to live a victorious life. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Amen. So Jesus said, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. He does, why does he do that? Why is it to Satan's advantage to steal the word immediately? So it won't take root. Because once it takes root, it's hard to get out. You know, Carolyn asked me one time to help her dig up the weeds out of her flower beds. That, to me, 
means there's absolutely nothing else to do. <laughs> I don't want to. I know she takes these little shovels this big and digs and digs and digs. I want to get the lawnmower, just mow it all down. <laughs> but you don't get the roots that way. And if you don't get the roots, it comes back. What happens if Satan doesn't come immediately to steal the word? There's a possibility it'll take root in your heart. And once it takes root in your heart, it's hard for him to pull it up. Right. Right. Amen. <clears throat> so notice he doesn't want you to be influenced by the word because he knows that if you're influenced by the word, then he cannot defeat you. He has no defense against the word of God. Amen. Amen. And what was one of the things that Jesus said would use, he would use to steal the word? Mark chapter 4 verse 19, the Amplified Bible says, The cares and anxieties of the world and the distractions of the age. That's one of the things Satan will use to try to steal the word. What? Once again, the cares and anxieties of the world and the distractions of the age. That's one of the things that is happening in the body of Christ right now. They're being distracted by the cares of the world and the things that's going on in the world today. And consequently, Satan is stealing the word from them. The same people who would not dare talk doubt, unbelief, sickness, disease, poverty, and lack are now talking it. What's happened? They, they haven't guarded their heart, as Proverbs 4 says. Guard your heart. Amen. The Bible teaches us that there's two primary ways that things get in your heart through sight and hearing. What you hear will get in your heart. What you see will get in your heart. Your eyes and your ears are the gateways to the heart. And if you're watching the wrong things and you're listening to the wrong things, then you've stopped guarding your heart. This is good preaching. Amen. I wish you'd respond better. Look your neighbor and say, I don't know why you're not shouting. I, I know why. I know why. I know why you're listening. Say, I'm listening. I'm not mad. I'm listening. <laughs> Amen. All right, now, the message translation says this. The stress strangles what they heard and nothing comes of it. <clears throat> if, you're, if you're focusing on what the world is saying, it will produce stress. Stressed. And isn't that something that a lot of people are going through right now? You hear them say it, I'm stressed out. I'm so stressed. Well, it could be you're listening and hearing the wrong things. But it says, the message translation says, the stress strangles what they heard, and as a result of it, what they heard, nothing comes of it. And that is totally the opposite of what the Bible says the word will do for a person. The word strangle means to stifle, 
and to prevent the progress of. Amen. To constrain the word and, and, and make it non-productive. And once again, that's the very opposite of what the Bible tells us the word of God is designed to do. Hebrews 4.12, the Amplified Bible says, For the word that God speaks is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. That's what the word of God is designed to do, to be effective in your life. And the word effective means producing an intended result. God sent his word. God is sending his word. He's sending it this morning and it's designed by him to produce intended results. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody lift your hands and say, I receive it. Praise God. God's word is designed to produce intended results. Can you say amen? Amen. Not some of the time, not just in the good times, but all the time. No matter what's happening in the world around us. So my question to you is this morning, are you going to let go of the word just because things are not looking so good? Are you going to stick with it? Tell your neighbor, I'm going to stick with it. Praise God. Amen. Now, let's go to the book of Isaiah chapter 40. Now, while you're turning there, a few weeks ago, as I was praying about 2022, and you know the word the Lord has given me, and we've been talking about it for the last three or four times that I've had the privilege to preach here, the hand of the Lord. 2022 will be the year of the open hand of God. And it will produce unusual, extraordinary, and supernatural provision. Whenever you see the phrase, the open hand of God, it represents provision. Amen. Amen. But then the Lord said something to me recently that he added to that. And here it is. 2022 will also be a year of more light, more insight, more revelation, greater freedom, and greater victories. A year of more light, more insight, more revelations, greater freedom, and greater victories. Now write that down and carry it home with you. Amen. Now, Isaiah chapter 40, some theologians tell us that this is not just a prophetic word. I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 60. That this is not just a prophetic word for Israel. But it's also applicable to the church in the last days. And notice it says in verse 1. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Now this is is where the Lord led me when he said that it will be a year of more light, more insight, more revelation, greater freedom, and greater victories. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. Is that not what we're experiencing right now? Behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, gross darkness the people. 
but the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. Hallelujah. That's good news. Amen. The Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. Now, the message translation, I'll take that back. Another translation says, let me find it. We'll we'll read that a little later. Arise and shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. Now, if you keep reading this, you're going to find out that in the midst of all this darkness, when the world is getting darker and darker, the church is getting brighter and brighter. Why? Because more Revelation, more insight, more light is coming. And, and I, I, I feel uh, reasonably safe in saying that it will include more insight, more light, and more revelation on how to position yourself under the hand of God. Amen. Can you, can you receive that? Yes. Amen. Now, I'm I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I can't wait. Go with me to the book of Malachi. You're all familiar with Malachi, chapter 3. I didn't intend for me to cover this right now at this stage, but I feel the leading of the Holy Spirit to do so. Malachi chapter 3, you know, it's famous for talking about tithing. Did I turn you off? Now, let's look at verse 10. You're all familiar with verse 10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And there's other things that go with that promise. But notice here, blessings that there shall not be room enough to receive them all. The message translation says, blessings beyond your wildest dreams. Now notice these are promises to the tither. Yes, they are. Not promises to everybody. Promises to the tither. I, I still find it hard to believe that the majority of the body of Christ still does not tithe. I personally don't understand that. Blessings beyond your wildest dreams. The lamps of translation says... Until you shall surely shout, it's enough. In other words, blessings coming your way in such abundance that you finally lift up your hands and say, Lord, it's enough. (laughs) Hallelujah. Has anybody done that yet? Now, I learned from Oral Roberts, which I've already shared with you, was one of my mentors. 
I learned this from him over 45 years ago. He said, tithing is not a debt that I owe, but a seed that I sow. And I, I have practiced that. I don't look at tithing as an obligation. I don't look at tithing as a chore. I don't look at tithing as my religious duty. I don't look at it as something I've got to do. I look at it as something I'm privileged to do. Why? Because if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't have anything to give anyway. And you wouldn't either. No, sir. Now, I'm a self-made man. No, you're not. You wouldn't even have a brain if it hadn't been for God. Amen. Amen. So it's not a debt that I owe. It's a seed that I sow. Don't look at tithing as an obligation, but a privilege. The reason, I call it the supernatural increase connector. Tithing is my supernatural increase connector. It links me to the supernatural. God. God is a supernatural God. And tithing links me to the supernatural. And it will produce supernatural increase. Now, I want to give you four reasons why I tithe. Number one. Or let, me, let me say it this way. Four characteristics of tithing. That'd be a better way to put it. Number one, it requires faithfulness. It requires faithfulness. Proverbs 28, 20 says, A faithful man shall abound with blessings. If you're faithful, you will abound with blessings. And that's one of the things... <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> Malachi chapter 3 says that he will pour out blessings on your life. That there will not be room enough to, to contain it all. So the faithful man will abound with blessings. So tithing requires faithfulness. Look at your neighbor and say, tithing, tithing. requires, requires. faithfulness. faithfulness. <clears throat> Number two. It requires discipline. It requires discipline. And discipline is not a favorite word in the body of Christ. Discipline is not even a favorite word with charismatic believers. Some Christians think discipline is a curse. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you shall be my disciples indeed. That means you will become a disciplined person. If you continue in the word. A disciple is not just somebody that just says, I made Jesus Lord. It's somebody that follows Jesus and follows his word. Amen. They, they make it lifestyle. And, and to be the kind of Christian that God wants us to be, at some point you have to develop and cultivate a disciplined life. Yes. 
Come out from among them. <laughs> You're not worldly anymore. Oh, this is getting deep. Come on. Good preaching. You're not like the world anymore. And to not follow their example requires discipline. You know, when I, when I started college a long time ago, I, I never drank in my life. I grew up an athlete. And my coaches told us all the time, boys don't smoke. Boys don't drink. Don't do that. And my coaches, particularly this one coach I had in high school, I thought the world of him. If I, if I felt like I was disappointing my coach, I felt miserable. I, I remember my senior year, I got to running around with some guys that I'd never run around with. And I got this ducktail hairdo, wearing my Levi's real low, and these shoes with lightning down the side. And a black t-shirt everywhere I went. And the sleeves rolled up a little bit. My arms looked like strings hanging off of it. I, you know. <laughs> and that first day, my senior year, when I came to class and I went to the gym, my coach looked at me and he said, that's not the Savelle I know. Oh, I knew I was disappointing my coach. I went home right then, cut my hair, Got dressed like I normally dress. Got rid of them lightning bolt shoes. <laughs> Never wore them again. Threw them away, I think. And when I got back to the school, my coach said, now that's the Savelle I know. I didn't want to disappoint him. Well, <clears throat> if, if, I, if I tried drinking, I would always think, maybe my coach might be around the corner. And if he saw me drinking, it'd disappoint him. Or if I was smoking, he might be around the corner and he might see me and it'd disappoint. So I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, it wasn't a temptation. Now a lot of guys that I ran around with did. And, and sometimes they'd ask me to go with them, you know. Now Joe and I, when we were young, Joe and I are cousins, you know. And when we were young, we'd, we'd tried smoking. We'd, we'd find the cigarettes our daddies left part of them in the ashtray and get them when nobody's seeing, you know, and we'd light them up. And if we couldn't find a cigarette, we'd smoke grapevines. You ever smoked a grapevine? Don't try it. It'll blister your tongue. <laughs> How do you know? <laughs> but, you know, we were just young boys, you know, trying to, trying to act big. You know, but, but we didn't do it. It didn't become lifestyle, you know. But my second year of college, now I went to college to play baseball. And uh, my second year of college, my roommate, he thought he was Bob Dylan. <laughs> he wore an old hat like Bob Dylan. He'd sit up in the bunk bed and he'd sing... Everybody must get stoned. Yeah. <laughs> Them Bob Dylan songs, you know. 
And I'm, I'm down at my desk trying to study psychology. I hated psychology. Has absolutely nothing to do with pitching a baseball. Amen. I'd get so aggravated with that psychology, I'd walk out in the hallway and take that book and throw it just as far as I could throw it. And I'd come back in there, and this guy would say, Settle down, Jerry. Be cool. Here, smoke a cigarette. I don't smoke cigarettes. Ah, it'll calm you down. Smoke a cigarette. Well, he talked me into it one day, and I smoked that cigarette. Next thing I know, I'm asking for a cigarette every night. Next thing I know, I'm buying them. And I was always looking around the corner, seeing if Coach saw me. You know? I was being influenced. Now, I was smoking when Carol and I got married. She hated it, so I didn't smoke around her. I'd smoke at the shop. I did paint and body work before I even opened my own business. I'd work at dealerships doing paint and body work. And the top drawer of my snap-on tool chest held my cigarettes and my cigars. And when I'd get to work, I'd smoke a cigarette. I, I never remember my dad working on a car that he didn't have a cigarette or a cigars hanging out of his mouth. I thought it was part of the trade. You can't work a car. You can't fix a car that's been wrecked without a cigarette hanging out your mouth. You know? No more than you walk on water when it's windy. Come on. <laughs> Thought I forgot that, didn't you? And, but I didn't smoke them at home, you know, because Carolyn didn't like it. And she took me to a meeting, talked me into go to a meeting one night. And I didn't want to go. So I, I told her I'd go, and I took a shower and put on some clean clothes, put my Winston cigarettes in my pocket, and we started to church. We got ready to go into church. She said, don't take those cigarettes in there. I said, why? She said, I don't want people knowing you smoke. I don't care what them people think. She said, just please do it for me. Don't take the cigarettes in. So I left them on the dash of the car, went in there. And this preacher started preaching, and it wasn't 15 minutes. He stopped and walked out in the aisle, and he said, somebody over here is about to get delivered to smoke it. And he pointed right at me. I was convinced Carolyn told him. I was so mad at her. I said, did you tell him I smoked? She said, no, I don't have never talked to the man. Well, how would he know that? Well, God must have told him. God told him? He said, step out in the aisle. I stepped out now, and I didn't want to. I didn't go to get delivered to smoke it. I went because Carolyn made me. <laughs> step out in the aisle. I did. He said, what kind of cigarettes do you smoke? I said, Winston. He said, have you got them with you? I said, no, she made me leave them in the car. <laughs> Real sarcastic like, you know. He said, does anybody in here smoke Winston's? About 25 hands went up. Anybody have some? About 25 hands went up. I said, see there? Somebody bring me a fresh pack of Winston's. Never been opened. And some guy did. And he handed them to me. He said, no, tear the package open. I did. He said, take all the cigarettes out there. I did. He said, put them in your hand in front of you. I did. 
He said, now break them in half and say this, in the name of Jesus, I'll never smoke again. I didn't want to say that. (laughs) But all these people are watching. I broke them in half, threw them on the floor and said, I'll never smoke again. Now, when we got in the car, there's those cigarettes on the dash. I wanted one so bad. But I thought, if I put that cigarette in my mouth, God will kill me. (laughs) I stood there in front of all them people, told them I'd never smoke again. I wanted, but I was afraid. You know, people used to tell people like that. God will strike you dead. We got home. I went to bed. Next morning, went to the shop. I wanted to smoke so bad, I couldn't really stand it. If I could have figured out a way to light up my screwdriver, I'd have smoked it all day long. <laughs> and wouldn't you know, that it's just like the devil. He comes immediately to steal the work. There was a man who had worked for my dad ever since I was a little boy. His name was R.L. Dix. R.L. was a black man. One of the best painters I ever knew in my life. And he worked for my dad in every dealership my dad had worked with. And now he works with me. Okay? R.L. never had cigarettes. Every day he would bum a cigarette from my dad. Mr. Jerry, you got some cigarettes? Oh, R.L., you know I got cigarettes. Do you know where they are? He kept them in the top drawer of his snap-on tool chest. And I learned to do that. <laughs> R.L. came in the shop the next morning with a box this big. Bubba. He called me Bubba because that's what my dad called me. Bubba, I come to pay you back for all the cigarettes I borrowed (laughs) from you and all the cigarettes I borrowed from your daddy. The next morning, cartons of cigarettes. And he said, here, I brought them to you. I said, Ariel, where'd you get these cigarettes? They fell off a truck. (laughs) Now, I wanted to smoke a cigarette so bad I could hardly stand it. But I thought, number one, if I light up a cigarette, God will kill me. Number two, if I make it through this day, then I'll never do it again. Well, I made it through the day and I never smoked again. Praise God. Amen. Never smoked again. And and I'm so glad. Praise God. Never, never drinked again, even though I tried it, but I was glad I got delivered of that. I didn't like it to start with. Amen. But notice influence. Influence, how powerful influence is. You know, Smoking a cigarette may not be a temptation to you, but watching that dumb news. I just got to see what's happening. Don't you want to know what's happening in the world? No. It's all here in the Bible. Perilous times. Paul could have wrote, you don't know the trouble I've seen. (laughs) All it is is trouble, chaos. The word, the gospel is good news. It's how to overcome all that. So I don't want to be influenced by that. I want to be influenced by the word of God. Right now, go back to Malachi. That was just a little side issue there. Number one, we said it requires faithfulness. 
Number two, it requires discipline. That's the reason I brought up the, the, the smoking and all that. It requires discipline. My dad smoked all his life. From the time he joined the Navy and went to Okinawa in the invasion of Okinawa during World War II, he began smoking. When he came home, he smoked. He smoked every day of my life. He kept two packs of Winston's in his shirt pocket and four Roy Tan cigars, two in this pocket and two in this pocket. And he went through them in a day. Every day of my life. When we were growing up, uh, our house had a, had a den. How many of you remember the old knotty, knotty pine? Knotty pine. It was wrapped in knotty pine. It's dark. It had small windows. And dad liked to watch television with the lights off. And when you'd walk in that den, I don't know how my mother breathed, or my sister and I. When you walked in that den, <clears throat> it was a cloud of smoke just in there all the time. And it wasn't the Shekinah glory. <laughs> we reeked with it. It was on our clothes. Everywhere dad went, there, there was uh, the smell of cigars and cigarettes. Now, after I came to the Lord, you know, prior to that, every Christmas, you know what I bought my dad? Cigars and cigarettes. Cigar boxes full of Roy Tan cigars. That's what he wanted. So I bought him a box of Roy Tan cigars. So I took him down there one year, and this is right after I'd surrendered my life to the Lord. I said, Dad, I got you another box of Roy Tans. He said, Son, I quit. I said, what? He said, I don't smoke anymore. He just went cold turkey. And I didn't even know it. Some of you need to go cold turkey on CNN. Come on. Amen. Because it's influencing you. Oh, hallelujah. You want to hear the rest of this? All right, number two. Tithing requires discipline. Psalm 15 verse 4 says, He honoreth them that fear or reverence the Lord and are loyal to Him. That's what uh, fear means. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. That's discipline. When you say, I will not do thus and so ever again. That requires discipline. I'll not drink again. I'll not smoke again. I'll not, I'll not watch things that are not how shall I say it? Pornography. Come on. You'd be a surprise at the number of Christians that are hooked on pornography. I know preachers that have left the ministry because they were hooked on pornography. But notice he says, he that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. In other words, I make a quality decision. I will not do this anymore. I will not do that anymore. And swear to your own hurt. The message translation says, keep your word even if it costs you. The passion translation says, make firm commitments and follow through even at great cost. That's discipline. Number three, 
It requires consistency. Tithing occasionally will not position you to receive blessings that you cannot contain. Consistency. I've had people say, I've been tithing now for three weeks. Am I faithful? Not yet. That's a good start. Keep at it. How would you like for your wife to say, I've been faithful to you for three weeks now. I haven't been with another man. Am I faithful? What? Would you consider her to be faithful? After only three weeks when you said, I do. That's not faithfulness. That's a good start. But when you can say after 55 years of marriage, I have been faithful. There's never been another. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. So it requires consistency. Consistency. Proverbs eleven twenty four says, There is that scattereth and yet increaseth. Notice the connection between consistency and supernatural increase. Scattereth implies consistently. Not just once, but always looking for the opportunity to do so. Lifestyle. Amen. Psalm 112 verse 9 says, This, this man that has wealth and riches in his heart, he hath dispersed. Yeah. The Amplified Bible says, He distributes freely. It's lifestyle with him. He never considers it as a chore. It's as Paul described in 2 Corinthians 9, 8 from the Amplified. His heart is in his giving. Number four, it demonstrates, demonstrates an attitude of gratitude. Colossians 3.15 says, be ye thankful. The message translation says, cultivate thankfulness. And the passion translation says, always be thankful. Thankful for what? Thankful that God has blessed you so you're able to give back to him and honor him. Hallelujah. I'm so grateful. I said, I am so grateful that God has blessed me so that I can always honor him and give back to him. That's what my tithe is all about. Now, the reason that I brought up tithing in this message in the early 90s and it could have even been the late 80s, Kenneth Hagin had a camp meeting in Tulsa every year. And Carol and I attended every year. There were a couple of times I was one of the speakers in that camp meeting. One year, Oral Roberts came. At this point, I had not met Oral Roberts. I always wanted to, but even though I say he was a mentor, I'd never met the man he mentored me through his resources. Okay. And all Roberts came that night and, and none of us actually knew he was going to be there. Now, brother Hagen might have, but he never mentioned that, but we just assumed all Roberts showed up and brother Hagen asked brother Roberts to take the service that night. And he did. And he preached a message that absolutely changed my life. And I'm still drawing from it today. He taught on Malachi chapter 3, flood stage. Flood stage. And he said, 
that faithful tithing will produce flood stage prosperity in your life. Flood stage. Uh, Blessings that you cannot contain. Now, he also said this, and this is what impacted me uh, so much. He said that part of the blessings that you shall not be able to contain, not only finances, as we would assume, but he also says one of the things that God will bless you with when you're a faithful tither is ideas, insights, and concepts. Ideas, insights, and concepts that will produce prosperity. Now that sounds like to me, as I was studying this, that sounds like to me what the Lord said to me about 2022. Number one, He said it would be a year to experience the open hand of God. Unusual, extraordinary, and supernatural provision. Then secondly, he said, it'll be a year of more insight. Amen. More revelation that will produce greater freedom and greater victories. I have reason to believe that if you're a faithful tither, God is about to yes, open sir. the windows of heaven yes, sir. and pour out insight, ideas, and concepts that will produce yes. prosperity like you have never experienced before. Lift your hands and say, I receive it. I receive it. <laughs> say it again, I receive it. I receive it. Amen. Let's give God praise for it right now. Hallelujah. You know, one idea from God I know, I know you've experienced this. One idea from God can turn what seems to be nothing into a multitude. One idea from God. When you're a faithful tither, you position yourself to receive ideas, insights, and concepts that can turn a hundred dollars into a million dollars. Have I convinced you yet the importance of tithing? If you're not a tither, I would highly recommend. I can't make you do it, but I'd highly recommend you start. And this time be consistent. Don't, don't allow the thought, should I tithe or should I not? I don't come to church without my tithe. Where's my tithe? There's my tithe. Why are you prospering, Brother Jerry? That's it. I'm a faithful tither. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Why does it seem <clears throat> that what you put your hand to Prospers. I'm a tither. Why does it seem when everybody else is shouting worse of times, you're having the best of times? I'm a tither. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, lift your hands one more time and say, I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think I need to stop right there. I didn't get all my sermon preached, but I think that's enough. Do you receive it today? Hallelujah. This has everything to do with you and I experiencing unusual, extraordinary, and supernatural provision. God is going to give us insight, ideas, revelation, concepts, that while everybody else is trying to figure out what to do, we're going to know what to do. We're going to know what to do. And not only are we going to know what to do, God is going to see to it that it works. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a good shout if you receive it. Hallelujah. Amen.